Hey everyone, this is William from A Fan's Perspective. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Well, when I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How to record an episode? How do I get my show into all the apps people like to listen on? How do I make money from this podcast? Well, guys, the answer was really easy. The answer was Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with a great sponsor who wants to advertise on your podcast. That means you get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. Guys, let me be real. Anchor has changed the way I look at podcasts. It made it really easy for me to get in there, start editing my stuff, and get it out to you. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money while doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. Once again, that's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear what you come up with in your podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to A Fan's Perspective. With me, as always, is the awesome and amazing Joshua Gray. What's up, Mr. Gray? Hey, not much, man. How are you doing out there? Man, been doing good. Um, I have to say that uh, is going to be uh, a little bit different. Oh, yeah? How's that? Well, <clears throat> we've got a couple things to cover that we we want to – I actually want to start off with um, the passing of uh, Mr. Frank Robinson. Uh, man, let me tell you, this guy was a legend uh, for Major League Baseball. He was a there pioneer. He's, it, you know, he was <clears> – <throat> he, he was a master of his own craft. And, and let me tell you, um, I just pulled up some of his uh, – some of his resume that uh, – you know, he was 83 years old, but his resume is just outstanding. Uh, let, let me give you a couple things off of it. In Shoot. 1966, he won the Triple Crown with the Orioles. Uh, he's ranked 10th all time on the home run list with 586, but it doesn't stop there. He was the first African-American manager, which happened in 1975, with Not, my Cleveland Indians? Yes, I was actually going to bring that up. But here's the coolest fact, and I didn't know this until I did a little bit more research, and I feel like a horrible sports fan or a baseball fan for this. He was also the only player to have ever won the MVP for both national and American leagues. Yep, one with the Reds and one with the Orioles. Exactly right. Now, I said he was a master of his craft. Um, he won MVP, um, which – in 1961 uh took him to the pennant they actually lost to the yankees but during that he hit for a 323 batting average 37 home runs 124 rbis across the season he also led the majors with a slugging percentage of 661 man it's amazing and what's even crazier than that he stayed with the reds for 10 years um he racked up a rookie of the year award in 1956 Mm -hmm. Uh, he got an MVP and Golden Glove in 1961. Man, this guy was just unbelievable and a pioneer because a lot of these things, you know, he's the first African-American to actually uh, 
you know, take step in some of that. Yeah, and he was he was actually traded because the Reds owner, uh, when he was thirty, they called him an old thirty, and they thought he was washed up, and then traded him to the Orioles. And the very next season is when he won that triple crown and won the AL MVP. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, it's absolutely amazing because throughout his career, he he seemed to have a mountain to climb and at every step he just he just kept climbing and he wouldn't let anything drag him down and that's what made uh, mr robinson such an amazing player not only a player but an amazing person because he persevered through through this rough time for the african-american community because let's be fair during the 60s the 50s 60s and 70s it wasn't you know african-american athletes weren't looked at the way we look at them today because African-American athletes get compared to all other athletes. Now they're on a level playing field and we don't look at color anymore. We look at stats. We look at, you know, how great we, we think of Ken Griffey jr. You know, think of Mariano Rivera, who just recently, you know, first unanimous uh, inductee into the baseball hall of fame. You look at players like that, that if they played back in an early area era, yes, they would have been fantastic, but I don't think they would have, had the same success maybe maybe because they the perseverance or the issues that they would have had to struggle through and fight through or who's the they would have even been given the opportunity exactly fact about um, that era yes exactly right um so i do want to send out condolences to his family you know we lost a legend and mr robinson won't ever be forgot not only for his accomplishments on the field but all the things he did out off the field and away from and, the game. And even, even until recently, he was, I mean, he was involved. He was a special advisor to the commissioner. He exactly right. the commissioner's was, uh, office with, close with Rob yep. Exactly right. He was a uh, vice president of talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he emphasized in, in helping push and look at more African-American players and bring to light that the dynamic of, uh, other ethnicities was a lot higher and that he felt that African-Americans should be looked at uh, as strong players and the athletes that they're capable of and not just judged by color of their skin, which was absolutely amazing. Yeah. His, his, his 60 years in the, in the majors, all total being associated with major league baseball has had a great impact on the game where we are today. And I'm, I'm proud to say he has a statue outside of progressive field. Yes, yes. Um, and I knew I knew that you would know a lot about uh, Mr. Robinson, mainly because he, uh, not mainly because, but it's a proud uh, notion that, you know, he made history as a Cleveland Indian. Yeah, absolutely. So um, having said all that, let's let's kind of move on to something less sad, unless you're a Patriots. Fan. Oh, my God. Now, here we go. <laughs> Gronkowski has said that he's going to wait a few weeks before announcing what he's going to do, whether he's going to retire or not. But as reported by a couple of sports outlets, Gronk does have plenty of options after football, whether he decides to do TV, movies, coaching. There's a lot of different things. But let's face it, Gronk really does have some awesome charisma. Uh, the reason I bring this up is because one of the topics that has been brought up regularly uh, is him with the WWE because we know Mojo Riley is a family friend of Gronk's and we've seen him at a WrestleMania 
uh, where he got involved in the Andre the Giant Battle Royal and kind of fooling Jinder Mahal. Yeah, he, he, he fooled Jinder Mahal's chances of winning. So what do you think are the odds? Are, do you think he's going to stay? Do you think we're going to see him as a more permanent staple on WWE? We know he can do movies. We've seen him do TV commercials. You know, as a tight end, I think he'd be a great coach. <laughs> yeah, Tide Pods, that's it. Um, but honestly, I, I've been to a, uh, an advisement role, kind of like what, um, what Wells Welker is doing right now. Um, I would love to see Gronkowski get out there and work with some of these younger tight ends uh, to kind of teach them some of the ins and outs that he, we see him perform well on, uh, you know, maybe pass some of that knowledge on. It's, it's far beyond knowledge. You got to have somebody with the talent of Gronk. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, um, we look at, uh, what is it, Travis Kelsey. Uh, to me, one, one of the best tight ends in the game plays for Kansas City. And you're exactly right. That's what Kelsey brought to the game was it wasn't just the base knowledge and understanding how to read the defender that's covering him, but it's also that athleticism and the ability to go up and get the ball block because tight ends are multifaceted now, you know, for a long time, they just blocked, you know, you, you go back to uh, when the 49ers were dominant yeah. in, in the nineties, it was all about blocking, you know, you, you block the end that way your, your, your uh, running back could get around the, the 10 hole or the one hole. But now we're seeing tight ends go up. We're seeing them get in the middle of the field in the flats. They jump, you know, for the ball, they fight for it. So we're seeing tight ends have a bigger impact on the game. And you're exactly right. Uh, if you don't have the athleticism or a, a, a God given talent, you can be the smartest guy in the world, but you step on that field You've got to have something to to kind of go with that. Exactly, exactly. And as far as his movie career, I heard it saying. I mean, he's done little roles here and there. I don't know if it's going to translate well to a, like a like a major role. Because I mean, you look. I heard uh, Jim Rome mention this on one of his CBS things, saying that uh, if John Cena and The Rock and Dwayne Johnson can make the jump, why can't Gronk? Well, well, they're in a business where half their athleticism and fame in that industry is based on their ability to act. <laughs> yeah, um, and I was actually going to say that when you look at roles that Gronkowski could be cast in, unfortunately, I feel like he would be typecasted um, as that party guy, you know, the uh, the immature adult, if you will. Now, some people talked about, you know, he could parlay himself into working his way into being an action star, which I mean, with, with movies like the expendables by all means could be possible, but I just feel like Hollywood would typecast him because of, because of his reputation that he carries along with them. You know, he's the party guy. He's, he's always got people around him. He's always, you see it, you hear about him in the clubs in Vegas, in New York, uh, you know, Boston's not really, you know, a big clubbing town, if you if you will, and all due respect to their nightlife. But we hear Gronk being more involved in these bigger cities, their nightlife. So I do feel like he would be typecasted, that he wouldn't get a fair shake if he was to try to take it down the Hollywood side. Yeah, and I think an action star makes sense for Gronk. I mean, God love him. But Arnold couldn't act. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, I love Schwarzenegger movies. 
And I, you brought it up earlier, the Tide Pie commercials. God love Gronkowski, but those are probably some of the most bland commercials in the world. Uh, he really depends on his physical prowess of being a big person, uh, if you will, like his his persona that when he's in a room, he fills that room up. And that's what he depends on uh, on these commercials. And you can kind of tell that. that that charisma and that swagger he carries. Absolutely. Um, now, Josh, um, one thing I wanted to talk about. So uh, I'm going to name and drop them. Uh, Todd McShay dropped his 2019 mock draft 2.0. Now, me and Mr. McShay both agree. Number one has to be Nick Bosa. You know, of course, his brother Joey plays for the Chargers and has had an absolute breakout year. Um, and I think Nick, it should be said that Nick looked absolutely amazing at Ohio State. And I feel like he can come to the league and transfer some of that success, maybe not in the first couple of games or through spring training. But I believe that both Bosa boys could be in the NFL and being a just a wrecking crew. Um, the one thing is, though, um, if he does get taken first, like I think he will, he is going to wind up with Arizona. And um, that can be rough um, being put into that situation. Yeah. And – I'm I'm going to hold off on making that prediction until the combine because now, yeah, he now, got hurt and I don't know how, how that injury is doing. It was, uh, it was an intestinal injury, I believe. Yes. Yeah, I believe so. Um, but here's my thing. Yeah. Uh, as of right now, I'm, I'm looking at, um, where I, I mainly want to talk pre combine scores. Cause let's be fair. All these can change. Uh, after the combine, when we start seeing 40 times and verticals and, and those blocking drills and things like that, we can see all this change. But what did strike me very con- uh, very strongly is the top five were all defensive players. Um, but that didn't shock me as much. I mean, you talked about this. Um, Kyler Murray uh, not, not being in the top 10. Um, they – uh, he's got Dwayne Haskins, the Ohio State quarterback, first-year quarterback. Um, and if he goes where Mr. McShay's predicting, he, uh, he'll be there behind Eli, um, which, I, don't get me wrong, I think is a great fit because Eli's not a mobile quarterback, and Dwayne Haskins is not by any means the most mobile quarterback. He's a, he's a, a true passer. Exactly. He, you know, he gets in there, and he can fit in the pocket. He can extend plays if he, if he needs to. But when you got players like Odell Beckham out there, if if you got a cannon of an arm like Mr. Haskins does, let's face it, he has a howitzer for an yes, arm. Yes, he does. And that would that would go great in MetLife because I don't know if you've ever seen it or noticed it in in watching the games, but that ball tends to waver when you when you have a quarterback that doesn't have a strong arm. You, we've seen some of the most accurate quarterbacks go to MetLife and it's like their accuracy just disappears and it's the way the wind moves in that building. Yeah, you get that New York wind and it just swirls sort of like it does in Cleveland. Absolutely. Um, Now, one cool thing was is, of course, I'm a Mississippi State fan and and we actually have a defender in the top 10, Mr. Jeffrey Simmons. Now, look, the reason I'm with you on one thing, the combine could actually help Jeffrey uh, because I watched – almost every game that state played this year, even against Alabama, 
uh, Jeffrey, man, he seemed unstoppable. Now, Alabama did the best out of all teams, but let's be fair, that's what we expect. Um, but he, the way he could get through the offensive line and break off into coverage when he was needed was absolutely amazing. You know, he was always getting tackles for loss, and, and he was helping prevent those those first down and second down runs into first downs. Especially um, through the double teams. Exactly. And, and I think a combine – could actually help him move up a couple spots. Um, Kyler Murray, who is by far one of the most explosive QBs that we've seen in a long time. But I really, in my opinion, man, and I, w- I want to get your opinion on this as well. I think him getting drafted to MLB, I think him making the comment that he stated that it was almost a power move to enter to the enter to the draft to try to make more money. I think that's scaring some teams away and the idea that you can't feel confident that he's, that he's, you know, um, that he's, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, committed that he's complete. Yeah. He's completely committed to football. And that's a scary thing for any of these teams to draft someone in the first round that, that they're not sure is committed. I think that's why he dropped down in this mock draft. To, I think they have him at 12. See, um, thing is, my know. opinion on that is money talks. If if he thinks he's going to make, he's going to go where he's going to make more money. If it's in the NFL, he's going to go there. If it's in the major leagues, it's, he's going to go there. He's well, not going to be on a starting rotate. He's not going to be in the majors. No, but come on now, five million dollars for a minor league contract, bro. I mean, that's absolutely absurd. I, I agree. Um, and, and look, Kyler Murray is a hell of a baseball player, but I think when you look at Aaron judge, who started out in the minors, he worked his way up. He didn't make 5 million off the bat. You know, you're talking major league money there. And this kid granted, like I said, he's got a strong arm like his dad did. No doubt about that, but you can't just, I, I don't think that going into the NFL draft is going to have a team or have the Oakland A's say, oh, no, 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 we'll give you more money to prevent you. But here's my question to you. I'm glad you brought up money because in this particular situation, I apologize, he's actually predicted to go 13th, but that's going to put him with Miami. Now, do you think that could be a wavering point? If Miami drafts him, do you think that could be a a tipping point to say, okay, let me see what offer I can get guaranteed in major league, regardless of whether it be the 5 million. Do you think Miami could be a deterring point for him to go into the NFL? Well, once he enters the draft, he loses all bargaining chips because yes, any, any contract that he was given is null and void by the Oakland by entering the NFL draft. Now, yeah, I think 13th is probably too high of a pick even for Kyler Murray. Um, but who knows? It's, his size scares me. I mean, they they talked about uh, Baker Mayfield's size and all of that. Yeah, but Kyler but Murray's, Murray's, Kyler Murray's five foot nine. Yeah, he's smaller than Baker. <laughs> um, that's the thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I would love to see Kyler Murray uh, go to the NFL and be successful because then we break that stereotype of you know, Drew Brees has been doing it. Russell Westbrook's been doing it. Baker Mayfield certainly has been doing it. We've seen the, that you don't have to be the tall, the biggest guy to be quarterback. You know, for years, if you weren't 6'1 or 6'2, you could kiss that goodbye. 
And we've seen these shorter quarterbacks. Drew Brees is another one um, that has absolutely helped fight that stereotype. But can you imagine a 5'9 guy with the explosive running ability of Kyler Murray and the ability to bomb the ball down the field? If he could get to the NFL and be successful, he helps break that stereotype. And that is something that we need because I feel like young people that that want to get into football might get a little bit – you know, hesitant about it because they feel like what's what future do I have when I don't match up to the what they call the the textbook standard, which is a bad mindset to have in the first place, because if you're good enough, look at Kyler Murray. He's a perfect example. He He's always been touted as too small, but he's good enough that that doesn't matter. He kind of transcends that that stereotype. And I think that's the mindset these young kids could have. But Kyler Murray can definitely help change that mindset. But the other side of that coin is he can also hurt that mindset. If he comes out and gets drafted and he ends up being more Johnny Menzel than Baker Mayfield, yeah, then you're you have more more ammo against not drafting a short person. Uh, absolutely, especially at the uh, quarterback position. Exactly. Um, you know, and I and I agree with you on that. It it is one of those situations where it can very much be a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of a deal. Um, you know, and and that's that's kind of where we're at with that. But I can, um, I, but to be, I can see him going that high because the quarterback class is just hot garbage. Compared well, to if past. I'm, if, yeah, if I'm correct. Uh, they're the top, they're the only two quarterbacks listed to go in the first round and and rightfully so respect to both of them they've earned first round bids but here's my here's my kind of asterisk to their names both of them are first year quarterbacks now Kyler Murray Heisman trophy winner we've seen that we know he's got the respect of the collegiate level but i was watching Sonny Michelle on ESPN this morning and that's one thing Sonny Michelle talked about is coming into the league Coming, you know, last year he played against Alabama, national championship game. This year he went back to the same exact stadium in Atlanta, Mercedes-Benz, won a Super Bowl. But what he talked about was when he came into the league, he had a veteran like Tom Brady pull him to the side and throughout the season give him tips and understanding of the difference between being a collegiate athlete and a professional. Little details like how you take care of yourself – versus college to NFL, things that you used to eat that you can't eat. And my thing with these guys is they've all been involved in a collegiate program, but only having one year, someone like Dwayne uh, Haskins could be asked to come in. And as bad as the Giants are doing, I think they could ruin him because they might try to pull a, a, um, a, a Johnny Menzel. They might try to pull a situation where he's thrown into starting so fast. Now I understand Cleveland had their own reasons for doing that with Manziel, but you know, you look at some of the great quarterbacks right now. And when I mean great, I mean people that were former backups, Uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers backed up Brett Favre for a long time. Jimmy G out there in, uh, in the 49ers backed up Tom Brady for a long time. We still have to see what Um, he can prove though. I mean, he's still got a lot to live up to with that contract he's under. I absolutely agree. I just feel like that Dwayne Haskins would be better off 
in a program where there's not going to be as much pressure because if Eli comes out and he's the Eli of this year, we're going to see the Giants try to push Dwayne Haskins into a starting position a lot faster, and I feel like that could ruin him. It could. But, it but could, at the same time, only Tom Brady situation. Exactly right. For, um, for uh, Drew Bledsoe and just Drew Bledsoe never sees the light of day in New England again. <laughs> exactly. Um, actually, that you bring up uh, Tom Brady, I do look for New England to not in the first round, but I do see them picking up a quarterback in the second round. Um, I, I, I like uh, there's a guy out of uh, West Virginia that fits that mold. Um, there's a guy out of um, crap. I can't remember the, the, I had three guys that to me, but the big one for me is, is the kid from West Virginia. He's a solid passer from the pocket, but he can also extend plays kind of like a younger Tom Brady. Tom Brady was never fast, but he could always extend plays a little bit, buy him a little extra time. Um, and that kid from West Virginia seems to do that. And I, I see, I definitely see New England taking a quarterback in the second round uh, to kind of have get in there behind Tom Brady and start to learn. What, are you trying to tell me Brian Hoyer's not enough? Uh, no, uh, absolutely he's not. Um, <laughs> I I just, um, I would like to see some fresh blood that, that has never touched an NFL field get behind Tom Brady because it's kind of like a blank slate, right? Tom can go in there and, and talk to him about, look, this is the way we run things. It's been successful for us. And I'm not saying that New England needs to keep that same strategy. As long as Tom Brady's under center, yes. But, you know, bringing in a younger quarterback that can be a little bit faster for when Tom retires, the great thing about that is you get the knowledge of learning under Tom Brady for how long he plays until he's 60. But the thing is, is once it's time to make that transition, whoever you've drafted, as long as you don't pull a Jimmy Garoppolo and send him away, could be a great step in where you can really make it a seamless transition. Well, that's the double-edged sword with Tom Brady is not knowing when he's going to retire hinders your, well, your planning for the future in this regard. So if he's planning well, for four more years and that rookie contract to that, that backup runs out and he wants out, then you're back at square one. Yeah. Well, I know Tom was talking on uh, an interview he did and he said he wanted to play to his mid folders. Well, forties where he's 41. So absolutely. It could be another three or four years before he's ready to retire. Um, however, I really feel like that's going to depend on, uh, on how the next season or two goes. If, uh, you know, we might start seeing the Tom Brady that is, it's going to start falling off. I don't see that happening. Um, just because Tom Brady, his work ethic, the way he lives, the way he diets, the way he works out, he keeps himself in prime conditioning. However, the one thing he does have to worry about is no matter how good a shape you keep yourself in, eventually your arm strength is going to start to dwindle. We saw a little bit of that this year where some of those longer throws that he made didn't quite have enough to get to where they needed to be. But overall, he he still has really good zip on these, you know, 15-yard passes, five-yard passes, you know, to players like Edelman that can get in there doing those cross routes and really eat up a defense. Yeah. Well, I think the thing that has, that uh, New England has going in their favor is I think Tom Brady 
is going to do the Derek Jeter route, and he's going to announce when his last season is going to be. I could even see him making like a documentary about his his final tour. And yeah, I I agree with you. I could see that a a, a stepping out saying, "Look, guys, this is my final year." Uh, kind of like the farewell tour, if you exactly. will. Um, and yes, I could absolutely see Tom doing that. Now, what I want to do, in all fairness, um, I'm going to go through the top ten here because you know we've talked about a couple, but I just want to get your thoughts once I get done. So. Right now, if it, if it goes the way Todd McShay feels, Nick Bosa, defensive end from Ohio State, will be drafted to the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, I agree with that right now. I am like you. I want to see the combine, see how he's re- recovering from that injury. But as of now, that's where my first pick sits as well. Uh, number two is, excuse me, uh, Josh Allen uh, from Kentucky. Uh, he's, a, he's a defensive edge. Uh, probably get drafted by the 49ers. Uh, that's who has the number two pick. So if that stands strong, <laughs> excuse me again, uh, that's where we'd see him. Uh, number three, they have Rashawn Gary from Michigan going to the Jets. Uh, that's an interesting pick. Rashawn was a great player this year, uh, strong defensive edge, and I see that being a good fit. Um, our, we have a friend, Thomas. Uh, he's a massive Jets fan. I think he would enjoy that pick because the Jets need defense. Mm. Um they have Quinnen Williams, a defensive lineman from Alabama, being picked up by Oakland. Uh, that would be a strong pick for them. Uh, they also have Jonah Williams, offensive tackle, going to Alabama uh, or coming from Alabama to go to Tampa Bay. Uh, Dwayne Haskins, we've talked about him. He would be drafted by the Giants if it sits the way it is. Jeffrey Simmons out of Mississippi State, defensive tackle, would be drafted by the Jaguars. Greedy Williams, I love that name, Greedy. Um, especially the fact that he's a cornerback, a greedy cornerback. That's freaking awesome. Uh, Played for LSU. He would go to the Lions. Jawan Taylor, offensive tackle from Florida to the Bills. Uh, DeAndre Baker, cornerback from Georgia, the Broncos. And, of course, we I brought up Kyler Murray being predicted at 13, going to the Dolphins. So do, you, do, do any of those stand out to you? You know, I'm going to be honest. I haven't done my draft research yet. Um Normally, as a Browns fan, this is you, you know my time of the year, but uh, <laughs> they kind of they kind of we're not they, in the top ten, so I haven't been paying too much attention to the top ten. I, I was about to say you, you love to say this; they screwed you out of the top ten. That's a great thing, though that that first time in a while y'all haven't been in the top ten as far as picks go. Yeah, I've been I've been pretty pretty relaxed taking this draft season. Started late yeah. in my uh, my preparation and looking at uh, everything. So finally, Josh, this is um, this is where I'd like to get to a surprise topic for Jeez. you. I, generally, we generally we go through uh, a base run of what we're going to talk about to give you an idea. Uh, you know, of course, we have to both understand kind of the. Hey, everybody! Uh, welcome to a fan's perspective. This is actually part two of the podcast that we were doing and uh we're gonna pick up kind of where we left off which was where i had a surprise topic for josh Um, (laughs) now don't worry it's nothing scary nothing crazy um so last podcast we started talking about video games um (laughs) now we we got a couple things Uh, i actually just started playing the mlb the show alpha 
um, because uh, PlayStation sent me a request to test out the game, which, by the way, I have to say, so far, it's really good. The physics have been good. Um, Gameplay is solid. But what I want to get to is last time we talked about the massive 13-year wait for Kingdom Hearts 3. Now, Josh, I know you've got the game. And let's talk about it a little bit. So I'm going to run a couple questions by you and just give me your honest answer. Okay. So we're going to start with number one, the big one. Kingdom Hearts have always been known about their advanced graphics, how great it looks. Even when the first game came out, the <laughs> graphics were so good. How did they fare with Kingdom Hearts 3? They're, again, pretty well. <clears throat> uh, everything's a lot crisper. Um Sora, Kyrie, and Riku, Riku, they all got, uh, they're older now, of course, so they got a little upgraded look and age and uh, just overall crispness in, in their costumes and Donald and Goofy and Mickey. It's just an overall more visually appealing than uh, than the first two. And of course, more so than the Game Boy Advanced. Absolutely, I was I was so glad. Uh, it's actually really interesting because I was going to bring this up to you. Uh, one cool game that they released right before Kingdom Hearts Three was it's called Kingdom Hearts Up Till Now. Um, and from what I can tell about it, is they actually took from Kingdom Hearts One, all they took three sixty five, they took teardrop, they took everything about Kingdom Hearts and put it into one game, um, which yeah. was. The 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 Game Boy Advance parts, if uh, if I'm thinking of the same one as you, they're not playable. They just uh, it's like a three hour movie, kind of like a recap of what happened in those games. Okay, okay, cutscenes. Yeah, yeah. So, question. So you're actually satisfied with the graphics? Of course, we know with the next gen gaming, as far as like 4K televisions, the powerful Xbox One X and the PlayStation 4 Pro. We knew that, especially with this game, for the first time ever being cross-platform, which, by the way, was awesome. Um, we knew that we were going to get some awesome graphics as far as what we've seen 4K capable. What I, I work in the business of technology as far as like 4K and things like that. And to see the progression from when I was a kid till now um, is absolutely amazing. So I knew when they announced Kingdom Hearts 3, that graphically it would be amazing. Uh, I'm just glad to hear someone say that that they've actually were able to improve as far as like getting crisper movements and making sure that the characters have looked like they've progressed over time where we didn't get the same, uh, the same feeling of, oh, these are the same exact characters. They're the same age and everything. I did want to see some progression as far as age-wise. Absolutely. So, um, number two is gameplay. Uh, I want to know about uh, controller feel. In comparison to the previous games, did they keep the controller configuration or the way you do things? Did they keep it in a more simple way that someone that, whether it be an experienced player like most of us, or whether it be someone that's just now picking up the game, um, is it adaptable for someone can just pick up the joystick and go to it? Yeah, I mean... It's if you're playing, especially on the easy mode, it's just it's just button mashing at that point. You don't have to master any of the the surprise moves or the, the double jump or anything like that. Everything's kind of easy in that regards. But when you're playing the normal game, you can also do your 
your button mashing on the attack button, but uh, it's easier to use those advanced features and your your slides, your your getaways, your counters, your retorts. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, and that, that's what I was worried about because a lot of times what we see is games that eventually move on to next-gen consoles, the controller's configuration gets a little bit convoluted. It gets a little bit harder to control, to do. And I was worried that they might do that with this game. I was really hoping they wouldn't. And as you said, they've kept it kind of simplified. If you want to play on the easy level and work your way up to learn how to play on the more advanced difficulties. But that's what I was worried about. I really didn't want to see them take this game. And, and to me, a controller configuration can actually ruin an entire game for me. Absolutely. And, and the good thing about it is I've always played it on the PlayStation and the PlayStation controller hasn't changed since PlayStation 1. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, as a matter of fact, my wife, um, that was her big thing is uh, when we buy it, it has to be on PlayStation because uh, we started playing it on PlayStation. It's a Sony-based game. And to play it on, and, and this is quoting my wife on Xbox, would just be hypocrisy and heresy. Absolutely. Agreed. <laughs> so why we love OG. <laughs> so let me ask you this as far as gameplay goes um storylines uh do you feel like they did a good job as far as you've gotten the game so far i don't know how far you've gotten um but up to the point where you are right now do you feel like that they that they got a good strong storyline because after 13 years you figure that they've had enough time to carefully time and and think about how they want to do this i know they got a couple new worlds uh, and a couple new playable characters. But overall, do you feel like that they've done a good job from what you've seen so far and, and story-wise? Now, I've only made it through three worlds, which were a lot of fun to go through. Uh, the first three worlds you you encounter, um, the, well, the first one, it starts out with a prelogue where you're in uh, Olympus with Hercules. Hashtag. We know so, that. Real quick. Let's let's yep. throw out uh, a spoiler alert. So I won't yeah. have any spoilers. It's just it's just worlds. Okay, I'm not gonna so give any storylines around. Awesome. So what he's gonna this will be awesome. So you said you start off in Olympus with Hercules. Yes. And then from there you have a choice to go to one world or the other. So your choices are either the Kingdom of Corona or a planet called Toy Box. Okay. So you can choose one or theirs uh, if you want to look up where. Obviously, one of them is pretty self-explanatory. I was about uh, to say, Toy Box is definitely going to be the TS game. <laughs> exactly. And then from there, you have uh, a couple. The, your second part, you can kind of choose between two worlds. So I haven't chose. I haven't gone to the second world, so I don't know where I'm going next. But yes. it's been a lot of fun so far. It's, uh, it's- the three worlds I've visited are previously not included in okay. Kingdom Hearts 1 or 2. Awesome. Um, yeah, as excited as I was for this game, I have held off on getting it. Um, I plan on getting it sometime this week or next week, but mainly when I get it, it's going to be on a day where I'm off work. That way, uh, once I start, I can just binge the mess out of it and and really get into it because uh uh, I think everyone's childhood was uh, it, everyone was enamored with Kingdom Hearts when they were younger. 
I can't say childhood because um, uh, when Kingdom Hearts 2 came out, I was um, I was 20, 20, 20 years old, um, roughly. So um, yeah, and my sister and I still had a uh, a sleepover party to play the game together. Ha, that's awesome. Yeah, see, and I remember uh, I was a big Halo fan back in the day, and I remember uh, up up until a couple years ago, me and a bunch of my friends, we'd always get together once or twice a year and do a big LAN party uh, out at a friend of ours' house, and, and we'd we'd all bring a TV and. And we'd have 20 different game systems networked together, everyone in different rooms trying to play. And Because let's be fair, if you're playing on the same screen, as much as we all hate it, you're going to have to deal with screen watchers. Um, so we would do our best to get as many TVs, uh, 20 might be an over-exaggeration, but as many TVs as possible to to do that. So I actually understand uh, where you're coming from with the whole uh, – you know, games are meant to bring us together, and and that's a really cool thing that you and your sister do. Mm-hmm. Um, so now that we've talked a little bit about Kingdom Hearts, is there? <clears throat> excuse me, is there anything that you're looking forward to coming up after Kingdom Hearts? Uh, anything that you've noticed? I know we talked a little about Mortal Kombat 11 uh, and what it has to come. Uh, I actually found out I was doing a little bit of reading. Uh, apparently. There and I don't know if we discussed this before, but apparently there's a petition out there to get Shaggy from Scooby Doo as a Mortal Kombat character. That's ridiculous. Um, you know, we've had the Predator, we've had Jason Voorhees, we've had Freddy. Uh, you know, we've had those traditional horror movie characters, but there's this fan fiction out there where Shaggy is just like a mentally insane person, and now people want to see the inventors and the creators of the new Mortal Kombat to implement him into the game under that kind of persona. They'll never get the rights to do it. No, absolutely not. Um, because <laughs> that, that, that damages that brand of Scooby-Doo and that group. Um, one thing I'm a, I am excited about is like I said earlier, I, I am playing the MLB, the show beta for the, or the alpha for the new game coming out, um, which you can pre-order now, by the way, get your mess pre-ordered. It's awesome. It's worth it every year. We have some improvements. Um, and it's kind of like Madden, man. I have my Xbox for Madden. I have my PS4 for things like kingdom of hearts and, and MLB the show. Um, so we do have a lot of games coming out later this year. You know, we're coming up on time for MLB the show. Madden will come out around August. FIFA will come out around September. You know, it's sports time. NHL will come out mid-year. But there are games that, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to that aren't necessarily just sports. Um, and I wish I could I, – I was literally just about to say what the name of the game was, and it slipped my mind. Um. So I'll have to get back to y'all on that one. I'm, uh, it's more like uh, Titanfall, just without all the the uh, online requirements, if you will. Because um, that's okay. what that's what killed Titanfall to me is uh, Titanfall One was where you had to play online, and to me that is a death trap for all games. Yeah, I mean the, we saw the same thing happen even in the Final Fantasy world. Yes, I mean it's hard to replicate the World of Warcraft type. It, it is. Um, now, see, one of my favorite games that I play is actually a free game, uh, Neverwinter. Um, it's done by the guys that do Dungeons and & Dragons. 
Um, but it's called Neverwinter. It's it's really fun. It costs nothing to play. I mean, you can like all games. There's microtransactions available inside of it. But it it was really it's really cool. It, it actually started out with my brother messaging me saying, "Hey, uh, dude, I want you to play this game with me." And I downloaded it, and and you can actually go quest. Uh, you can have up to four people in a group running around, a lot like uh, World of Warcraft. Nice. Uh, but it runs so smoothly that you 